Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. I know a lot of people are very eager to talk about President Trump's announcement that he will indeed be running for president again. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. I think uh, both Dominic Carter and Rita Cosby did a great job covering the nuts and bolts of the Trump campaign announcement. I'd love to find a new angle. So if you have a, a different angle other than what you've heard for the last three or four hours, I'd love to hear it. 800-848-WABC. But there's an aspect of the local political arena that I want to talk about that I don't think has gotten nearly enough attention. The long-sought goal of having political campaigns in New York State be partially funded with public money is falling into place with the launch of the new public campaign financing program this month at the New York State Board of Elections. The way this is going to work is it's going to allow direct contributions of between $5 and $250 to be matched with public funds. And the hope is that this will create a sea change in how campaigns are funded in New York. This is based on this disastrous eight to one matching funds program that we have in New York City. I have been following this matching funds program in New York City since its inception, when it was a one to one match, and then when it was a four to one match, then five to one, six to one, now it's eight to one. This New York City program is a disaster. It's a disaster for taxpayers. It's a disaster for candidates. It's a disaster for a lot of campaign managers who have to comply with these horrible audits that distract campaigns from actually reaching out to voters. The only people that the New York City program hasn't been a disaster for is the cadre of political consultants, campaign treasurers, election lawyers, and political operatives that have learned how to game the system and have gotten very rich doing so. These people are going to look at what's happening on a state level and line up like pigs at the trough. I also don't really see the New York City system having done anything to change who's gotten elected since this matching funds program has been in place. I still think you see special interests and big money dominating at every level of government. You disagree? Take a look at the three campaigns Mike Bloomberg won and tell me if you think this New York City match fund system did anything to reduce the role of big money in politics. So I don't think this New York City plan should be a model for anything. And this New York State plan, once it's fully implemented, is going to be the largest and most expensive taxpayer-funded campaign program in the entire country. I don't see this doing anything to get big money out of politics. The only thing I see this doing is making a cadre of political consultants rich. If you're one of those political consultants, congratulations. I do hope I'm wrong and I do hope this produces a better body politic in New York. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. 
Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. I have to hand it to Mayor Eric Adams and his administration. His administration announced yesterday that its November financial plan will save the city a projected $2.5 billion over the next two fiscal years thanks to an array of agency cutbacks. According to Mayor Adams, his fiscal disciplined-minded administration, by the way, there was air quotes around fiscal discipline there, if you couldn't tell, because after all, this is the same administration that just spent $5 million in taxpayer money to tell us to flip over the val- over the ballot to work on the racial justice commission questions. And again, there was air quotes around racial justice commission. But I am pleased to see this. Uh, the mayor essentially asked it, the... New York City budget has now grown to $104 billion. I mean, think about that. That's more than most states. That's more than a lot of countries. Now, when you have a $104 billion budget, there's plenty of room for savings. And what the mayor did essentially is ask every single city agency to cut 3%. Not a lot. When you have $104 billion, it's easy to find some savings. At least it should be. And almost all of them did. To their credit, almost all of them did. And these are real numbers, black and white numbers. You can look at them for yourself. The only three agencies that were not able to meet that 3% threshold for cuts was the NYPD, the FDNY, and the Department of Sanitation. Obviously, those are essential services. And if there's one area we don't necessarily want to be cutting back with a cleaver instead of a scalpel, it's those areas. But hopefully those agencies will also be able to meet the 3% reduction. These cuts were made through the so-called program to eliminate the gap, which impacted just about every city agency. I'm pleased to see this. Even if some of this is a numbers game, I'm at least glad that there's a mayor that recognizes the very real possibility that we could be heading towards a recession, which a lot of people predict will make the city's fiscal situation even worse, and is at least trying to make it look like they're doing something to cut the budget. I think this is a great thing, and the fact that they did it without layoffs and without cutting services in a major way is really impressive. So I didn't vote for the mayor, but I have to tell you, my hat's off to him here, and I hope we see a lot more of this. And this is not the kind of thing we would have seen in the last mayoral administration. That's for sure. Beam me up. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Obviously, even though we don't discuss the mob much on this show, there was no way that this story was going to be on the front page of the New York Daily News, and we weren't going to talk about it. Yesterday's New York Daily News front page, a remade man, question mark? Columbo Killer says he's reformed, requests early release, feds say mob promoted him in Cannes. So this is what the article in the Daily News by John Anise reads. The leader of a mafia death squad says he's a changed man and wants an early release from prison, but the feds say he's changed for the worse by becoming a made man in the Colombo crime family while serving his time. Vito Gazzo, who is serving a 38-year sentence for five murders in the 1990s, describes himself in a court filing as completely rehabilitated and someone who has matured from a rash young man pursuing a lawless lifestyle to a reflective, empathetic, middle-aged adult. He's seeking compassionate release 
under the First Step Act, criminal justice reform, which was signed by President Trump in 2018. Now, the federal prosecutors are saying that his claims of rehabilitation aren't worth much, especially as multiple government sources say he was inducted into the Colombo crime family within the past decade while he was locked up at the federal prison in Danbury, Connecticut. We have a lot of listeners, by the way, at that very federal prison in Danbury, Connecticut. So uh, if you're listening in Connecticut, shout out to you. Couple of things. One, what I see here is someone that fits the exact criteria that the First Step Act was created for. Now, you can agree with the First Step Act, you could disagree with it, but this is someone that if you look at all the other people that have gotten released from prison because of the First Step Act, Vito Guzzo certainly fits that bill. This is someone who looks like they are being treated differently because the crimes that they pled to and were convicted of were having to do with La Cosa Nostra, the mafia. Ask yourself the question, if this guy were a Latin king or part of a gang that was primarily black or part of a gang that was primarily Muslim, do you think if he met all of the other criteria for the First Step Act, one, they would have put him on the front page of the Daily News, and two, do you think there'd even be a question that he would be getting the release that he's entitled to? The other thing that we're seeing, the prosecutors are claiming that government sources are making this claim that he was inducted into the Colombo crime family? I mean, give me a break. What government sources? If you want to keep someone locked up in prison, even though they fit the criteria for release, you would better tell the judge, and I would say the public, what those government sources are. You want us to take your word for it, Department of Justice? No, thank you. We've seen your track record. Beam me up. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. I have spent a great deal of time with the decline in the quality and the quantity of local news in newsrooms all across the country. And unfortunately, it only seems to be getting worse. Maybe until now. Around 17 people are coming together to launch something called Signal Cleveland, which is a new nonprofit newsroom that plans to fill the void left by the pandemic era gutting of the city's hometown newspaper, the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Signal Cleveland's editor in chief, Lila Mills, seems pretty excited about this and did an interview with Axios. Community-based nonprofit newsrooms are increasingly being set up across the country in cities like Houston, New Orleans, Baltimore, to fill the void of dying newspapers. Here in New York, we've got a great nonprofit news source called The City. Today, around 40% of nonprofit news organizations are local. That's up from just 20% in 2017. So Signal Cleveland, which is named as a nod to Cleveland native Garrett Morgan, the inventor of the three-way traffic signal, launched yesterday with $7.5 million in funding from a group of local philanthropies and journalism nonprofits. And they're a very seasoned newsroom. It's led by a group of longtime Cleveland journalists. 
local nonprofit news is driving a major industry shift, and that's a good thing. I asked my wife, who I met when she was a reporter for the Staten Island Advance, and she's a journalist and a terrific journalist, and she shares some of my frustrations about the decline in local news. And I asked her, what would it take? How much funding would you need to start a nonprofit news organization just covering Staten Island? And she did a little bit of back-of-the-envelope math, and she said it would cost about a billion dollars to start. I said, that's not a lot of money. So I thought to myself, if anybody was interested in donating to a nonprofit, I would put it out there. And if anybody emails me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. And keep in mind, it's a nonprofit. It's not an investment. You're not going to make your money back. And if we get to a million dollars, I'm going to encourage her to go forward with this because I think there's a real opportunity, not just in communities like Staten Island, but in communities in New Jersey, which has seen a dearth of news organizations in recent years and Connecticut and Buffalo and Rochester and even Long Island. I think there's a real opportunity for local news to thrive if it follows the same kind of model, this nonprofit model that the city is following and that the signal is hoping to follow in Cleveland. Only takes a million dollars. So send me an email. Let me know what you'd pledge towards a Rachel Morano-led nonprofit news organization covering Staten Island. Beam me up. To be continued.